This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. Protesters carrying a 100-foot-long black, red and green Afghanistan flag marched through Jalalabad on what would normally be a celebration marking the Afghan Independence Day. This time, the Taliban, who have their own white flag, ended the occasion with gunfire shots into the crowds. At least three people are known to have been killed. Meanwhile, in Kabul, huge crowds continue to gather, desperate to escape the country. The Taliban's response is the same. As many as 15,000 Americans and at least 65,000 Afghans and their families are still desperate to get out. Chaos continues, days after the Afghan government collapsed. But speaking to ABC News' Wild News tonight, US President Joe Biden doubled down again on his decision to withdraw American troops. So you don't think this could have been handled, this actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that... There, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing... I don't know how that happens. You'll find that full interview on the World News Tonight YouTube page. But what's behind the president's decision and defiance? I'm joined by Christopher Phelps, Associate Professor of American History at Nottingham University. Firstly, Christopher, was Joe Biden expecting this to be a popular decision in the US? Well, it's a bit early to try to determine whether or not this is going to play to Biden's advantage. It's the case that uh, the US public was massively in favour of the initial Afghanistan invasion in 2001. But the mission was always overlaid with other themes by the Bush administration, including a nation building project to try to remake Afghanistan as a democracy, a pluralist society with uh, rights of women defended and so forth. And that was you know, Americans were much more ambivalent about that. And so the war is dragged on and Trump was elected promising to end that war. Obama had been elected promising to end the war in Afghanistan. And now Biden was elected promising the war to, you know, the war would end in Afghanistan. And I think most Americans were just left wondering what the United States is still doing there. So in that sense, I think, you know, Bi- Biden may yet be proven right in his instinct that the war had to come to an end. And for him, it was visceral and personal, I think, because he, he was there for eight years in the you know, National Security Council at Barack Obama's side, hearing all of the officials about how the war was going and thinking a lot about the war and what the U.S. was still doing there. And his own son had served in the Iraq war. And um, this is the son who died of cancer, to whom he has quite an emotional attachment. 
And so he, you know, I think he just didn't want to have more Americans coming home dead for a war that he thought was pointless at this point. Do you think that Joe Biden's decision as a president may have been influenced by his opinions as a father? I do think that his uh, opinions as president are deeply influenced by his experience as a father and as a grandfather. I think that Biden is a family man. He's an Irish-American with a deep sense of family. He had two sons and a daughter and a wife, and the wife and the daughter both died in a horrible car accident when he was still a very young senator, really right when he was becoming involved in national politics. And so his two sons have been incredibly important to him across his lifetime, one of whom, as I said, served in the military in Iraq. And I, th- I think also as vice president, he was comforting families of the dead in Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, he, so he's he's had a lot of death in his life, and he's ha- he's he's known a lot of military figures. He was good friends with John McCain, who was a senator uh, who was a Vietnam War veteran. And, you know, I, th- I think a lot of politics for Biden is personal. And I think a lot of his decision making about this was personal. Joe Biden's talked about how this was a deal that was made by his predecessor, Donald Trump, and which he has carried on with. Could he have, once he got into the Oval Office, overridden this, stopped this and continued the U.S. presence in Afghanistan? Yes, but Biden could have had he wished continued the war. And in fact, the Pentagon brass were urging him to stay. The U.S. had about 4,000 people, uh, you know, personnel present when Trump took office, that he'd whittled it down to 2,500. You know, it was a skeletal force, but a symbolically potent force on the ground there. Uh, And the Pentagon thought that for intelligence reasons, for regional stability, for uh, the question of terror and so forth, it made sense to keep the keep the troops on the ground. But Biden, you know, thought, well, that could be a justification for decade upon decade upon decade um, and billions and billions and billions of dollars and more American lives lost. Uh, And he, he had, uh, I think he had firmly made up his mind long ago what he was going to do if he took office. Is it realistic that US intelligence did not know how quickly the Taliban would take over Afghanistan? Is this all about pulling people out of the country for this symbolic September 11th deadline? Well, I've read conflicting reports. And of course, i don't have access to the intelligence reports that the White House received. I've seen quotations from intelligence uh, officers saying that actually Biden had been told that this was a possible scenario. But the way the intelligence briefings work, there's a kind of range of possible scenarios that are laid out. And I suspect that a near immediate collapse of the government within two weeks was not at the top of the list. I suspect it was more sort of in a range of possibilities with the more likely prospect being that um, certain cities in the periphery of the country would fall to the Taliban and Kabul would remain in government hands. I suspect that, you know, that a kind of complete route by the Taliban was not the most likely scenario that the intelligence community um, put forward. And had it been, it might have affected the Biden um, team's 
thinking. In the UK, in the parliamentary debate yesterday, one of the themes that kept recurring was this idea that the UK was following the US's lead and what, what, how does that make the United Kingdom look on a global stage? How does it, this decision make the US look on that same global stage? It's, it's a complicated thing. Does this necessarily mean the end of American power influence? Uh, you can look back at the, the Vietnam defeat was much more of a, a defeat. Um, this is more of a voluntary withdrawal and people at the time of the defeat in Vietnam in the 1970s thought this is the decline of American empire, it's the end of American power, and then there was a tremendous revival of it over the next 20 years. So given that the United States has more than 800 military bases in 70 countries, given that the dollar remains the you know the world's go-to currency and given the primacy of the united states in the tech industry and finance and other economic sectors uh it's it's hard for me to believe that the united states is fate is going to be determined by what we've seen in the last week in Afghanistan. But there will be countries like Russia and China looking at this, won't they? And, and I'd imagine they'll be having a lot of thoughts about what happens when the US makes a decision like this. Certainly. And in fact, the rest of you know the, the Islamist terrorist movement will be cheering it and hoping that the Taliban government will again provide a a base of operations for a movement that's been mostly relegated to various African um, countries. Now, there's there's no doubt Britain met its own fate in Afghanistan. Russia met its own fate in Afghanistan. Now the United States is the proverbial graveyard of empires, but somehow those powers remain significant on the global stage long after their own uh, nosebleed uh, in Afghanistan. I think you're right that the competitors to American power will, will be uh, heartened, but I'm not sure it means... You know, the story of international relations is set forever. And going back to U.S. domestic politics, we have the midterms coming up next year. Joe Biden is losing popularity right now. But given that Donald Trump said that he was going to pull the troops out of Afghanistan, how can the Republicans use this against Joe Biden? Oh, changing on a dime has never... <laughs> <laughs> as, as uh, you know, it's it's an easy thing to do for the contemporary Republican Party, and particularly for Donald Trump. Donald Trump changes his positions all the time. He's already come out talking about what a fiasco this was, even though it probably would have been equally a fiasco had he followed through on his impulses. He was talked out of it by his aides and by the Pentagon brass, um, but he he really uh, has traditional Republican isolationist instincts, and he's been long opposed to the neoconservative establishment that was in um, the driver's seat during the George W. Bush years. Nonetheless, the political opportunity presented by an apparent foreign policy, policy fiasco will be impossible to resist. And uh, in American political life, uh, what was said yesterday on the cable news is of almost no moment to what's said today. And that's the leader. Check out standard.co.uk for more coverage of this story and follow the live blog for breaking news. We're back tomorrow at 4 p.m.
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.